Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride, and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including Kicker Smart Trainers, Element Bike Computers, and Ticker Heart Rate Monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Hey, Alyssa, and congratulations. You had a fantastic race at Eagle Man. How are you feeling? Hi, Haley. Yeah, I'm super excited. It was a good day. Um, it was, you know, a day I wanted to have, which was good, and things went well. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm excited to get back to sleep tonight. The drive back from the Eastern Shore is always a little bit hairy because coming over the Bay Bridge, you're in a lot of traffic from the like summertime beach crowd. And so as anyone knows, like traffic and sitting in a car is a really tough way to spend the time after racing. And so didn't sleep too much last night, but I'm excited to like be back in my own bed. It was only a driving race. So that was a treat. That's for sure. And get some more sleep to, to be recovering. So this was Eagle Man 70.3. It's a race that you have some history with and you finished sixth, which is fantastic in the money, but it was kind of a weird day, right? Cause, uh, I saw they canceled the swim. Yeah. So this is the first time Haley, I've actually had a race where we haven't swum in a triathlon. How is that possible? You've, you've done a ton of races. I know. I guess I always, I don't know, usually bring good swimming weather or something. And I was looking forward. I mean, we've been talking about my open water swim focus as of late, right? So the past two weekends, I had been doing open water swim races. I was like in the zone for open water swimming to be like nailing it at this race. And I, you know, and historically I have done Eagle Man quite a few times and I have struggled a bit with this particular swim because it's a little bit choppier and it's just a little bit trickier. I think some of the, the way the sun comes up and, you know, so like I was ready to be dealing with those elements and Haley, the, the base swim is always the same day as Eagle Man. So there's a swim where you can swim across the Chesapeake Bay and it's 4.4 miles. And it's like been going on for, I think 30, I think this was the 30th year. And so it's always the same day and they were supposed to start like midday because of the tides, they try and time it. And my friend who was doing it, texted me the day before and said they shortened the base swim for the, I think the first time ever, because there's a small craft advisory on the water and it's just the storms are moving in and all this stuff. And I was like, oh man, if the base swim shortened, like that doesn't bode well for the triathlon swim. But we had heard the day before, like they also obviously knew storms were moving in and things. So the water team, you know, at Eagle Man did what they could. And so they preemptively shifted the swim course to kind of more into the inlet I guess or the marina area and so it was a little bit more protected and then it was like shallower water so you could have literally stood the entire swim course with the new way it was set up so I kind of felt like okay it's gonna be choppy but like if you could stand the whole way I thought maybe they would let it fly you know like that's pretty safe I guess so I got there race morning everything was normal I got my speed suit on and I like literally just 
ate my last snack, started walking over the swim course to, to hopefully warm up. And I heard everything like the announcer asked for everyone to get quiet because he had an announcement. And I was like, oh, no, like this is never a good thing. And it was definitely windy. Like, don't get me wrong. The water was quite choppy. It was very windy. And they said because of the small craft advisory, the kayakers were having trouble even getting out there for safety purposes and stuff. And so they had to make the decision to cancel the swim and they started giving instructions for the time trial start. So you know, there's always like a huge mix of reactions and there definitely was within the pro fields too. Like it's pretty funny to see, you know, the stronger swimmers are obviously pretty bummed and then the weaker swimmers are like, hey, this is like a new game. So the way they do it for pros is we had to pick numbers. So they like brought us over numbers in a box and we picked out to pick our order and then the male pros went off and then we went off three minutes behind them, 45 second increments. So they gave us a pretty good gap and then 10... 10 minutes I think before age group started going what what number did you draw because there is a big advantage there I've been in that situation where you don't want to go first right you want to go last because in any time trial start you kind of especially when there aren't a huge number of people that's not a huge number of people that you're going to be passing but there is sort of an advantage to go later so that you can see what the gap is to people in front of you and then when you're on the run there's no one behind you that's beating you. So what number did you get? So I drew four um, in a field of 10, which, you know, it's not great, but it's not terrible. At least it was, you know, somewhere in that middle. At least I would have people ahead. But then I guess they put too many numbers in the box. Then I actually got bumped up to three. So that wasn't as ideal, I guess. But um, it was, you know, it's interesting. Like, you know, you prepare in the pro ranks for like those lonely times out on the bike and biking alone but like this was definitely even more so than when you have a swim because typically in a swim you know it's pretty rare that I've ever gotten out of the swim like completely alone you know like usually I'm within kind of shouting distance or like you know striking distance of someone and I can kind of see them and we're getting onto the bikes together and you don't feel like all by yourself but this 45 seconds is quite a bit and it was, it's a very lonely, I mean, it was a true time trial on the bike, but you know, I do train a lot, especially cycling, uh, my own, you know, especially for some harder rides and stuff during the week. So, and I know that course, so that definitely helped and it was windy enough to keep things interesting too. And then the rain came, so that keeps it interesting. So there's all sorts of stuff to, to keep us occupied on the bike. Well, that rain and wind, and I heard it was only 70 degrees. And last week we talked about how Eagle Man is notoriously a super hot and humid race. And obviously it was still humid, but 70 degrees sounds like like crazy. I can't even imagine it being that cool there. Did that make a difference? You know, I mean, it definitely, definitely did. It was still super humid. Like, I want to say the humidity was probably in the 90s percent still. So, you know, you still have that, like, classic humidity which keeps it from actually feeling really like cool but the lack of like just sun on some of the exposed parts of that course was very noticeable and very helpful I think you know it's a trade-off in dealing with the winds and stuff because it was you know a very windy day and very so for half the bike ride we basically had the headwind and then we actually had that for the run too like a really strong headwind to run into and so it, it just changed it up. You know, it was a fun way to experience Eagle Man and something I think a lot of people that race that race, it's one you do year after year. So it gave everyone a different way to experience it. And I saw the picture of you hustling through transition. I was very, very proud. And, but when you are doing a time trial start like that and you're on the run, and I mean, I see the results now and it was a fairly close race. I mean, I think... I mean, there was less than a minute between at least like you and seventh, which is a, a payday and not a payday. Did you know that on the course or was that something later? I mean, are you running like I, when I've done a duathlon, it was like I you, you there's no time to relax. Like you don't relax down the finish shoot or anything like you are sprinting across that finish line because one second might make a difference, even though there's not person right next to you. I did have a friend who was she's on the smash team. And she was in T2 um, yelling at me as I'm like running through, kind of giving me a few placements that I was like within a minute of fourth. I was right behind fifth or no, I think I was in fifth off the bike within a minute of fourth and 10 minutes back from the lead. Right. But at that point, the other women hadn't really come in off the bike enough to like 
So I, I knew that, but I also, like you were saying, like, did some of the women who started ninth or eighth, you know, are they coming in right now? And did they make up a lot of that time and that kind of thing? So you definitely are, you're running scared and it's, it's an interesting way to race. It does help you kind of keep your foot on the gas. And Haley, I have to say in the finish shoot, so I'm like booking it in because you got to cross the line. Like, like you said, if you kind of take a look back as you're entering the shoot and you don't see anyone, right. You can kind of like relax a little bit and enjoy it, but like, you're not going to enjoy it when you're trying to get your chip across that line. And they were doing the like champagne ceremony in the finish line arch. I hear no way. <laughs> and so I was like, I was literally like, luckily another, a male age grouper had actually was coming through too. And so it wasn't just me looking like terribly awkward because we both like knew we had to get like to the line. And I, you know, I was, I was basically like, I'm really sorry for like coming through, like, sorry, sorry. And I'm like ducking out of the way, but like I got myself across that line as fast as I could. And I like, wasn't going to give them pause for that. So I think that was like one thing they didn't quite think about. Yeah. You're going for like your paycheck. Yeah. That's fascinating. That's well, good for you. Good for you for not letting them. I would have gone up and like grab some champagne too. And be like, I will <laughs> take this. I'll help you with that. No, um, but congratulations. I mean, that was a, you know, when you have to deal with so much craziness, it's kind of nice to, when you're like, have that experience, but I'm sure that it kind of makes you appreciate when things are normal. <laughs> Cause it was, I, when I did a duathlon race like that last year, it was, it was interesting. I also feel like everyone rides way, way harder. Like that was the other thing I noticed. I was like, Oh my gosh, like I'm riding extremely well and I'm not putting time into anyone. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was weird because you're like, you're expecting to kind of catch some, you know, because like, you know, you ride faster than some people and whatever. And you're kind of like thinking you might get caught by some and then catch you up. Yeah, but you're right. I think it, people go kind of hot out of the gates a little bit more. And so how that affects the run, you know, like who knows? So it was, it was definitely different, but I think, I think we had fun with it and it was, it was good. And it was a different experience. And I just kept reminding myself, like, it's not a big deal because Haley's still one in Waco without a swim and Haley's a swimmer. So like, I can't complain at all because I'm a mid-pack swimmer. So <laughs> I gotta just hustle, right? So, you know, thank you for that inspiration. And my parents got to come. So they hadn't seen me race in a while and they stood in the rain for me for a really long time. So that was really nice to get to see them. But congrats cool. to everyone who did Eagle Man. It was definitely a different experience and a tough day out there. So you earned whatever finish you had there. And Haley, what have you... What have you been up to in Montana? <laughs> Tracking races. <laughs> that was a, there was a lot <laughs> there of racing. There were a lot last weekend. weekend, yeah. But yeah, a lot of really, you know, impressive racing. We had we've had mixed bag of weather here, but no, my training has been really good and you know, it's been we've been getting ready for some some cool interviews we have coming up here in the next couple of weeks and that gets me excited and you know, just, just the same old, same old, which is actually quite nice. So I'm okay with that for right now. I got a couple more weeks and then I'll do quarter lane 70.3. So gearing up for that. So I'm kind of in the thick of all that training, but fun times and yeah, lots of inspiration from all of everyone racing this past weekend. And Haley, while you're getting back with like your daily grind and doing your training block, through June, um, we have some fun things coming or well, that are happening in June. And we talked about last week with Ginger Awareness Month through Zelios. So they are doing exciting things on their social media all month, kind of a play on the Ginger Awareness Month. And so if people, you know, I guess at Eagle Man, you know, I still wore my sun barrier, but it probably wasn't as needed as I expected it, it would be that day. But plenty of summer racing and training where you can make that uh, useful or the Twix chamois cream and any of their like skin and hair care products you can always get for 20% off with the code ironwoman at teamzelios.com and we have another exciting contest though right That's now right. this is to announce noon hydration which is another one of our sponsors they are offering a fantastic contest that is running through the rest of the month of June and all you have to do is go to livefeisty.noonlife.com you enter your name and email address and you could win a year's supply of noon products and a one-on-one -on -one consultation with exercise physiologist dr stacy sims 
who also, if you haven't listened to our ads, is still our reigning most popular podcast podcast episode ever. So you could you could meet her like virtually, I guess, probably on the phone for an hour or wait, is it an hour or just one on one? I guess they don't they don't say the time, <laughs> the yeah. amount of time. But it's a what kind of a I mean, that's the kind of prize you don't just win it just anywhere. Right. That's huge. No, this is this is very exciting. Everyone should definitely go to livefeisty.noonlife.com to enter until and it ends. It's going to end July 7th, 1159 Pacific time. So you have some time to enter, but don't delay. Just go ahead and do that right now before you forget. This is like this might be one of my favorite contests. This might be I think this could be my favorite contest we've done so far. I mean, this like I said, you I mean, you're not going to, you can't even just buy that. I don't think, I don't think you can just go to the, like, be like, Oh, can I have a consultation with Stacey Sims? Like, I don't think that's something you can just buy. So this is a pretty cool, cool thing to win and a one year supply of noon. That's, that, <laughs> I wouldn't say no to that. No, I know. So very exciting. And thank you to noon hydration for partnering with live feisty on that. Yes. And if you, if you just want to buy some noon hydration, you can always go to noonlife.com and use the code IRONWOMEN and get 30% off awesome deal every single day of the week. Haley, we have a couple mailbag questions that came in this week that we're going to take a stab at. So the first one is coming in from Adam and he is interested in asking us what the point of the hypoxic swim sets are in swimming. Do they have a place in triathlon training? He's never liked them and doesn't fully understand the physiological benefits. His gut reaction is that they don't have a place in tri training because you shouldn't and probably won't ever be in that state in a long course triathlon, but he wants us to weigh in. So I think Adam is, he's referring to a couple weeks ago when we did talk about doing pull sets and restricting your breathing. So maybe breathing, like I do quite frequently, a 50 breathing every third stroke, then a 50 breathing every fifth stroke, and then a 50 breathing every seventh stroke. Those kind of, so you're breathing to both sides and you are practicing holding your breath. So that it is a very swimmer thing to do when you grow up swimming. Like this is a very... I mean, I don't think anyone grows up swimming and doesn't do these kind of sets. And I think they do have a place in triathlon. I think that triathletes, one, should be able to breathe to both sides. Even if you prefer one side, I think you should be able to breathe to both sides because you never know if it's like the sun is in your eyes in one way or if the waves are coming at you from one direction or if the buoys are always on, you know, or they're on a different side you need to be able to like to breathe to the other side or, or if there's just someone annoying on one side and you just don't want to look at them. Be able to breathe to both sides. The other thing about swimming is that you are inherently hypoxic. I mean, it's not like biking and running where you can just breathe whenever you want. There is going to be an amount of time where you can't breathe and you are I mean, kind of holding your breath. And so these sets kind of, they get you to practice, you know, just being in that state. And I would never say to someone, to a triathlete, that you should go breathe every seventh stroke in a race. I wouldn't say that to anyone swimming more than probably a hundred freestyle, just because, you know, you want to get as much oxygen as possible when you're swimming open water. But I think it's good to, to train yourself to be comfortable, you know, holding your breath a little bit. And also it's, it's not about holding your breath. You actually want to be breathing out, you know, breathing bubbles out while you're taking those seven strokes so that when you have your head out of the water, it's completely efficient and only air coming in. Cause that's, that's something you see with newer swimmers. I think is that they breathe out while their head is up and then breathe in. So their head is out of the water for a longer period of time. And it's just a less efficient stroke. So it's kind of also a way to practice that because the time that your face is in the water is a little bit longer. I like all of your answers. And the only thing I would add too is that, you know, especially for people who are swimming a lot, like it's another good way to mix up some of your swim sets and just to keep it interesting for yourself. I know, you know, it's not something I would necessarily give myself to swim, but when a coach puts it in a workout, like it's a good different workout for me to do and it just keeps it interesting. And then I also like it because it's a good way to practice being uncomfortable, which is like what racing is all about. And like when you want to get to that next level in racing, you have to practice just being uncomfortable, right? And like sitting in that space and whatever it might be, right? Whether it's on the train or doing hard intervals or whether it's in the pool, like being like, man, can I get through these seven strokes before I can take a breath? You know, am I going to cheat at the wall or am I going to do it the real way, right? So like practice being in that state where you're making those 
decisions and like pushing yourself a little bit further than you might have otherwise is always a good thing. I think in training, like no matter how you find that. So hopefully Haley helped explain the swimmer side of things. And maybe, maybe that was a little bit of the mental side that you can get from, from some of those swim sets. I like that. I feel like when you think of it that way, it could help you in every area of life. Like if you're like working on a spreadsheet and it's just like, I'm okay being uncomfortable. I'm going to keep going until I get it. Thinking back to my accounting days. That's true. (laughs) Haley, we have another question that came in from Melissa. And I think this is kind of off of what we talked about a little bit in our pre-Ego Man chat, but she's wondering if we have tips for getting ready for the crazy heat that she's likely to experience on the Big Islands Run course. So she got into Kona as a legacy athlete, and she wants to know if we would recommend doing as many runs as possible in the heat of the day or just targeting specific runs. Her problem is that running on a hot afternoon slows her pace down significantly and taxes her system so much that she's not sure she's getting as much training benefit as she would just kind of running earlier in the day when the temps are lower. So she's also worried about showing up and just not ready to run then in the afternoon heat if she does all her training when the temperatures are cooler, right? So she does live in Houston where she has some similar conditions to the Big Island to be able to train in at least. Living in Houston, I feel like you are, I mean, that's like the one place I can think of that is as hot and humid as Kona. So I've never been, I don't think I've really ever been to Texas more than just like passing through. Houston is hot and humid, especially in the summer. I mean, I think it's pretty, it can be, be pretty unbearable. My thoughts on this are, I would definitely not do every single session out in the heat of the day. That is going to like tax you. Like, like she said, like tax her too much. I think we see that sometimes when people go out to Kona, um, a couple of weeks or months before the race and train there all the time. Sometimes people are just cooked by the time they get to the race, if they're just not recovering in between sessions. And as an age group athlete, you're probably not, you don't have time to go like, then, you know, take a cold shower and nap and everything like that. So I wouldn't, I would actually probably do very, very few of your, like your key sessions in the heat of the day. Obviously when you go for a long bike ride, there's probably no way to avoid it if you live in Houston. So you're going to get some, you know, heat acclimatization, just doing that. Same with running. I'm sure in, I think in Houston, probably if you started your run at five in the morning, it's probably still hot and humid. So I think you get enough just from that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make a big effort to go run at 1 PM. If you had an easy session and, you know, maybe you could do that, but I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't seek it out. I would try to try to give yourself the best chance to execute the session the best you can and recover from the session the best you can. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, it sounds like in living in Houston, you're getting very similar conditions and you're I think a lot of times when people hear about the Kona heat and stuff, like anything, right, it gets a, the, t- the tails get bigger as people fly back <laughs> over the ocean and land. And then, you know, a day or two goes by and the tails sometimes get a little bit bigger. And like, yes, it's very hot. Yes, it's very humid. But it sounds like you're living in a place where if you just are doing your training by virtue of doing that, you're going to be in a good spot. So I wouldn't worry about that, that too much at all. And actually, Haley, I, w- I was wrong. Melissa won the Kona Dreaming Lottery. So she was one of 40 people. So she's already very lucky for having won her spot through that lottery. So Melissa, I think you're like, you can ride out your luck and you're living in a good place. I think you're, you're probably doing the right thing now is my hunch. And I think Kona is like one of the best supported races in the world. I mean, there are more aid stations on that bike course than anything ever. Plenty of aid stations on the run course as well. So that'd be something you might want to even practice, though, is like setting up an aid station for yourself. I do that quite often when I'm practicing, you know, running where, okay, every mile I'm going to be able to have water. And even if it's not water that you drink, like water that you pour on yourself and you just practice that. I mean, that could be beneficial as well. And if you are really nervous, you can always run with a bottle. I've done that in Kona as well. And which I, I use to not only just drink, but also to just pour on my head because I am someone who doesn't necessarily do well in the heat, but if you, you can do really well at heat management during the race, if you, you know, pay attention to that and pouring water on yourself, it really does help cool you off. So I, yeah, like Alyssa said, you've already won the lottery and it sounds like you're, you're thinking about things and I think you're going to be more ready than you think. And Haley, 
before we move on to our interview today, we just want to thank everyone who has continued to support us through our Patreon campaign. We do we are building a community on Patreon where you can contribute various amounts to help support Live Feisty and the content that we are putting out each month. Uh, you go to patreon.com forward slash live feisty and you can see everything there. And we greatly appreciate and just want to thank everyone that's helping us build what we're making over here. And this week we are talking to Kayla Kobelin. She's a rookie professional triathlete from Seattle, Washington. As an age grouper, Kayla won nearly every race she entered, including age group wins at Ironman Coeur d'Alene, Ironman Louisville, Ironman Canada, and a sixth place finish at the 18 to 24 age group at the 2018 Ironman World Championships. What made Kayla even more unique among her Kona competitors was that while she was training and racing on the Big Island, she was also taking casting calls to be a contestant on the competitive reality show Million Dollar Mile. If you aren't familiar with Million Dollar Mile, it's a television show executive produced by LeBron James that showcases runners like Kayla being chased by professional obstacle course athletes over a series of five obstacles set a fifth of a mile apart. The runners get a two-minute head start, and for each obstacle, they earn more money, up to a million dollars. So Kayla made it on the show, and her episode just aired last month, and spoiler alert, she won $100,000. It's the biggest prize the show has seen, and probably makes Kayla one of the highest paid professional triathletes before she has even finished her first professional race. So we talked to Kayla about being a reality TV star, making the big bucks, and of course, we included a little bit about swim, bike, and run. So we'll hear more from Kayla right after the break. Hey, Alyssa, have you ever come out of a race with a really bad sunburn? I sure have. My very first Kona, I'll never forget. It was awful. Well, I think I have a product for you. Zelio Sun Barrier SPF 45 is a zinc-based and water-resistant sunscreen. It's long-lasting, oil-free, and won't sting your eyes. I've used it, and it works great. I'll have to try it because I have heard that Zelio's products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like Heather Jackson, Lindsay Corbin, Jesse Thomas, and Rachel McBride. Wait, did you forget someone? Oh, that's right, and our very own Haley Chura. Well, Zelio's products are made with high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest days, sweatiest training sessions, and toughest elements. They give athletes like us confidence and peace of mind to perform at our best without worrying about our skin or hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without are the Sun Barrier SPF 45, Betwixt Chamois Cream, Swim and Sport Shower Products, and the Body Lotion. You can use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com to get 20% off. Hi, Kayla. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Thanks for having me, you guys. So we have a lot to get into with your athletic career, but we are going to start with a recent item, which is your success on the television show, Million Dollar Mile. Yes. So we have to start like at the beginning how do you end up on a TV reality show? So before triathlon, I was in obstacle course racing circuit. I was doing that, running the races. So I knew people in that circuit. I saw ads on my Facebook about this fitness reality show. And I was like, heck yeah, I'll, I'll try out for this. So it ended up taking like five months. And to be honest, I didn't take the application process too seriously because a lot of it was when I was in Kona, like training for that. And I was taking these Skype calls, like literally like on the Queen K I'd be on my bike and I'm like, yeah, whatever. I didn't take it too seriously, but they still let me on. And I passed all of like their physical fitness tests they had me do. And then next thing you knew, they flew me down to LA to shoot the show. So what kind of like physical fitness tests are we talking here? Was this like, they would be like, okay, go run two miles and tell us like how fast you did it. Like, or was yeah. it like that kind of thing? It was like an NFL combine basically. So like a uh, fastest mile, then you had to do like the long jump and there was sandbag carries in there. There was a swim test in there and there was like a rock climbing test. Yeah. And did you have to like get them certified by someone at the gym as like a witness or something or like what? Yeah, so they actually flew us down to L.A. 
Oh, okay, cool. They had, they had all of the contestants like run the combine and then they scored it. So whoever had, you know, scores between X and Y got to be on the show. Wow. So how you mentioned Kona. So this is like last October and the show was just on in May. So how long ago did you tape it and have to keep your results a secret? We filmed in October and up so until- right after Kona. Yeah, we filmed I think the last weekend in October and I wasn't allowed to say anything to anyone until the show aired. So basically from Kona until like May 4th or 7th it was. Do you think it was helpful that it was like it lined up after Kona, like when you're in probably quite good fitness shape? Yes and no, because I was so wrecked after Kona. (laughs) Like the last thing I wanted to do was like race and compete. So yes, I was physically fit, but I was also very fatigued. (laughs) And Kayla, can you give us like a run through of what Million Dollar Mile is? I mean, I I did watch the show, but there are five obstacles. And do you know which obstacles are going to be on your course? You do. Yes. Yes. We couldn't touch them or anything, but we knew what they were. So basically there is a, someone called a defender on the course and their job is to defend the million dollars. And they give us runners a two minute head start to complete as many obstacles as we want. If we feel that the defender is closing in on us, we can choose the exit obstacle, which is a rope climb up a building. So I chose to exit at obstacle obstacle four, which banked me $100,000. I didn't want to risk going to number five, A, because I didn't want to risk $100,000. And B, my arms and like hands were so fatigued that I, and I knew I still had to climb a building. And I was like, you know what? I'm good with a hundred grand. Like this took me like what, 10 minutes? Like I'll take it. And so did you get to practice? So you knew which obstacles it was, but like, did you get to practice? Like, was there a combine where you could go early and like practice on any of this stuff beforehand? No, No, we had no practice. And it was crazy because we had to film with a black backdrop. So we had to film in the middle of the night. So I, you know, I was running that course at like two in the morning, you know, after being up all day. So it's kind of hard to like get your adrenaline going after being awake for so long and then being like put under like that type of spotlight with those lights and Tim Tebow yelling at you. So, and as the runner, you mentioned you were the runner. So you got to start first and your defender starts two minutes afterwards. And I believe you got to choose your first obstacle. So was there any strategy in the obstacle that you chose to start with? I think you started with hang time. So more, it was like a very upper body um, focused obstacle. Was that by design? Yes. So there was a strategy there. Uh, I wanted to do hang time first because I knew it was really technical. So I was like, okay, if I can do that, I'll get a good confidence boost. And I know it'll take the defender some time to get through it. Then I'll go to another obstacle, which I knew I liked because it had water in it and like rock climbing. And if I did that, I would lock in $50,000 no matter what. Cause you, cause you lock in the 50. So it's like $10,000 for the first one and then 25. And then once you get to 50, you're like locked in at 50. You're locked in at 50. Yes. So you can't go below that. Even if your defender catches you, you're yep. you, so you get through three obstacles, you know, you have $50,000. Oh, yep. I like this strategy. And then, but you, then you automatically went ahead to the fourth obstacle to, yes. to try to, for that hundred thousand. Yes. Yeah. Cause I had nothing to lose at that point. I was like, well, I already have 50,000 locked in. I might as well go and like double my money, which I did. And after that, I, I was just, I was so tired and I knew she was catching up to me. So that's why I chose to exit. And so are you're getting updates on that, their progress, like catching up to you? Are they okay? So you just like assumed she was, and I guess I also am wondering, like, does she know if she's closing in on you as she's doing the... Yeah, I think I think she has an idea. And nobody was telling me anything, but you could just kind of look around and see, like, where she was versus where I was. And you kind of just have to make that split-second decision of, like, do I go for it? Do I not go for it? And, of course, I think it's easy to say, like, anybody on the TV watching, like, oh, if I was her, I would have gone for the 250. But when you're actually in that position and, like, your face with, like, hey, there's a hundred grand, like, for you, 
like no questions asked if you climb up that building. I think people's opinions would probably change. And your defender, Orla Walsh, is a champion Spartan racer. I mean, did you know Orla? I'm just curious. I like know her background since you had somewhat of an obstacle course running background. Yeah, so I've actually competed against Orla, and she's beat me every single time, like hands down, no question about it. So when I saw that she was the person defending me, I was like, oh no, like this is going to be a really good battle. (laughs) Fun fact, I actually know Orla as well because she lived in Baltimore and our time there overlapped a little bit in like a running group there um, before I believe she went from there up to Vermont. And like, that's kind of when she took off with the obstacle racing that stuff. But I had seen that Orla was going to be on it. And I was like, so excited to like watch her episode. So this is all like very small world here coming, coming together. That is super funny. (laughs) That is crazy. But Orla, unfortunately she fell, which is something I don't think I've seen on any of the previous episodes. And I think she actually fell, she fell fell twice, you know, she fell on the hang time and then on the deep water solo. So climbing up, you know, I've heard that like, is really hard when you have to swim first and then you're rock climbing because your hands are wet. So she fell. Did you know that she fell? No, uh, no idea. They don't, they don't tell you. And by the time the crowd rushing, didn't go like, oh. no, I, I didn't hear them there. Cause you're kind of far away. So by the time I'm running to the next obstacle and she's, you know, still at hers, I can't see it. Cause I mean, you are running through like lots of buildings. And so there's a lot of corners and turns. So you really can't see them unless they're like right on the obstacle with you. And so if it's being taped in the dark and you're trying to like navigate through all of this area, like how, how do you even know where to go? If like they haven't allowed you to practice on this course. They had lights and they had people on set kind of like guiding us. Hey, go this way, you know, follow this blue tape, go to the left, go here. So they did have a lot of people on the set that you don't see to help navigate the course. And going along with that, it looks like some of the obstacles require you to be roped in with a harness. So how does that work when you're trying to do everything as fast as possible? Like, do you rope yourself in or is someone there helping you? And do they make sure, like, if it is someone helping you, do they make sure the time is equal for you and for Orla? What if yeah. Orla got the better better volunteer? No, that's like, a great They question. do give her the better volunteer because they don't, they want you getting caught. They don't want to spend any money. No, that's a great question. Sorry. They had these things, they were called TV timeouts. And what it was is when I got to an obstacle, they'd have a guy with a stopwatch. They would harness me in and then they'd, you know, count me down from five seconds, three, two, one, go. And then when the defender comes, they hold the defender for that same amount of time. So it's fair. Oh, that's interesting. So that's like also though a built-in rest, right? Because if you watch, like you do see that some of the times you're actually like breathing really hard. Like you can tell it's like adrenaline and you're like working hard and really racing. So, but you are getting like little mini breaks, I guess, kind of through that time. So, but like how hard were you running, you know, in, did you have any sense of that as you were going? Oh, I, I just did a full on sprint. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't, you know, people were making jokes backstage like, hey, Kayla, remember, you know, you really need to pace yourself. I'm like, you realize I just did an Ironman like two weeks ago. This is a one mile course. I'm good on pacing. Okay, like, thanks, guys. So honestly, I just went out like full. Do you you think this gives you a little bit of a, a, um, you know, advantage if you were ever in a sprint finish in a triathlon? Like you've been in this situation and you've had and you've had someone like right there with you. And I mean, a lot of money on the line. I mean, probably because honestly, yeah. Having somebody race that close to you for that amount of money is a different type of pressure than just a regular triathlon race. But it really just came down to like the mental game of just like racing my own race and like not worrying like what the other person was doing, which you definitely can apply to triathlon. Okay, so we're getting to the end of the Million Dollar Mile questions, and then we'll move on here shortly. But we have some more. So I guess I'm curious to see which obstacle did you think was the hardest? I thought Flies on the Wall was the hardest, hence why I saved it for last, and I did not do it. If you watch the show, most every single person that does that obstacle either falls or gets caught on it. And, you know, after seeing it in person, the the walls that you have to jump onto, it's basically a parkour obstacle. You're jumping from wall to wall and some are moving and some aren't. It just looked very technical. 
And I was just not about to have that. So, I mean, you've talked about, you know, that decision where you decided to bank your $100,000 and it wasn't like, and you had a, you had a 90 second lead. So we're talking, you started the course with a two minute lead. Yeah. Four obstacles later, you still have a 90 second lead. You have a hundred thousand dollar option. You could go for 250 and then, which also I think if you finish that 250, you get to compete for the million dollar obstacle, which right. no one's ever seen because no one's ever made it that far. But you head for the exit obstacle because even though we say like, oh, you made four, you really made five because this exit obstacle is really hard. Like you said, it's climbing a rope up an entire building, but you couldn't, I mean, in the show, in the editing, they show like the crowd going crazy and telling you to keep going and Tim Tebow's telling you to keep going, but you couldn't hear them. No, no, I couldn't hear them at all. And honestly, just finishing that exit obstacle was like a, I don't know, that was like a win in itself because if there's one thing I hate more than life is would, would be heights. Like I am, I hate heights more than anything. So knowing that I had to a climb a building and then b zip line off of a building, I almost pissed my pants. <laughs> so I'm just happy to even complete that whole obstacle. And so we think with that decision that you're, we're pretty sure you've won more than any other, like one more money than any other runner on the show, at least that we've seen this far. So do you think that getting the million dollar prize is even possible? It's definitely possible. I would say yes. Uh, I think it would take someone that is incredibly fit and also is willing to risk banking $250,000, which is a lot of money. Do you know what the million dollar obstacle is? Yeah, they, they show it on the. Oh, they do. They do show I it on the uh, show. It's basically like this thirty foot rock wall that you have to kind of scale, but just with your hands. And the the rock holds are very small and thin. They're not these like easy grab, you know, rock holds. To be honest, I didn't do any training for this show at all because I did not take it seriously. I looked at it just as a really fun, cool opportunity. And yeah, I think I think if I put too much pressure on myself and trained and took it way too seriously, I could have messed up. So you've talked a little bit about like your past resume of obstacle racing. I I want to say, as I was, you know, investigating you, I saw some things where maybe you were on Ninja Warrior as well, or like you had tried out or like, I don't know what round if you've gotten farther than that. So, but you have like definitely a past of that kind of stuff. And I could be wrong, but I think that nowadays obstacle races and like these kinds of sports are getting much harder prize purses than Iron Man, to be honest. So are you tempted? She won like, as much as like Kona. That's right. like winning Kona. Like you <laughs> won a hundred grand and like Daniela Reef won 120. I mean, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> so are you tempted to make like these things more of a priority after your success, you know, with million dollar mile? No, to be honest, because I, I did that for a couple of years and it was great and it was fun. But I just enjoy triathlon a lot more, to be honest. I did like that in obstacle course racing, you definitely had to be, in terms of like physical shape, you had to be more of a balanced athlete. Like you had to be really good at running, but then you also had to like lift a bunch of weights. And like, I love lifting weights and doing all that. Whereas in triathlon, from all the endurance training you do, you kind of get a little smaller um, and that's okay. But I don't think I'll go back to that just because of the prize purse. I don't want to like race races for the wrong reasons. If that makes sense. We do have to ask because million dollar mile has a lot of famous people attached. Their names are attached to the show. The producer is LeBron James. You mentioned Tim Tebow as the announcer. And one of my personal favorites, Maria Taylor is one of the other like commentators and she's a university of Georgia grad and ESPN commentator. So did you get to meet these people? I mean, we, I saw you meet Tim Tebow. Did you get to meet LeBron? I did not, unfortunately. But Tim Tebow was great. He chatted with me uh, backstage before I went on, you know, saying, hey, these are the questions I'm going to ask you. This is how it's going to go. Like, kind of got me hyped up. So that was really cool. And he he was just a really nice guy and a great, a great commentator. 
Okay, so thanks for bearing with us and entertaining. As a, like, reality TV show fan, this has been, like, really fun to live vicariously through you. I'm super jealous. So super exciting. And as I think of more questions, I'm sure I'll be sending them to you throughout throughout time here. But we do want to talk to you a little bit about your triathlon career. And this year has kicked off your rookie pro year as a professional triathlete. So... But things haven't been quite as smooth as they were for you, perhaps with Million Dollar Mile. So let's take it back to Oceanside 70.3, which you had planned to race and kick off your pro career. But this year, you found out that you have a life-threatening nut allergy, which seems like insane to me that you're finding this out at 24. So how can you get a life-threatening allergy like this at 24? Like, can you just wake up and all of a sudden develop an allergy? This is terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. To make a long story short, the doctors think I had this allergy like my whole life and I had like mild reactions to it. And basically my body just one day flipped a switch and was like, we're not going to tolerate this stuff anymore. So yeah, tree nuts, all nuts, peanuts and fish are a no-go for me. And it's honestly crazy in terms of the timing because back in January, I was in Big Sur with noon for a photo shoot and we were there and like we had no cell phone service for a couple days and we were out like shooting and eating all this food and then I come back and like two days after I come back I had this like life-threatening reaction where I ended up in the hospital and I'm like holy crap if I if this happened you know three days prior in Big Sur where there's no cell phone service like I'm pretty sure I would not have the same outcome which is crazy to me. And how has this changed? I mean, obviously it changed your travel plans, how you travel. How has it changed, you know, fueling for both life and racing and training? Because I believe you're also a plant-based athlete. Well, I was a plant-based athlete. So at this point, my age is like severe enough that I can't eat things that are manufactured, you know, in or around tree nuts or peanuts, which is basically everything. So I have to just eat like a lot of you know, vegetables and rice. And now I eat like steak and ground beef and pasta. So just a lot of like whole foods, but there's a lot of like restaurants I can't go to. Thai food is still my favorite food. And I can't have that anymore because of all of like the peanut oil and peanut sauce they use. So that's been a huge adjustment. How have you, I mean, I'm just curious, like this seems like a lot to have to take on from the mental side of things. Right. So how are you handling this? Like, I mean, do you have just a really good support system? Have you had to like add things in to help you just kind of mentally get through? I mean, I just can't imagine waking up and like it is, especially for an athlete with the amount that we're fueling and, you know, eating to be able to do what we're doing. This is not only life. I mean, it's really life altering in so many ways. So like, you know, how are you doing? And are there ways that like, you have found support that you didn't expect maybe or something like that. Totally. Well, my boyfriend's been super supportive just in terms of like, he also now has to go nut free. So that's been super great. I would say a surprising group that I found because I was trying to look for like support groups for this and there really are none except for this, like it's called this no nut mom allergy Facebook group. And it's for moms who have children with like life threatening allergies. But I requested to join being like, Hey, like I'm not a mom, but I have this allergy and I, I just don't have anybody to talk to about this. So they've been great in terms of like sending me, you know, types of flour I can bake with and, you know, Hey, check out this new restaurant. They have, they don't have any nuts, you know, at this restaurant. So they've actually been super helpful. And when I flew for the first time to St. George, I asked them like, you know, Hey, I'm flying. What are the precautions I should take? How should I go about like boarding the airplane and wiping the seats down? So they've been a huge help. So you talked, you mentioned St. George and again, it was, you know, this is the second attempt at your pro debut and it didn't go quite as you planned. I believe you were pulled from the run for medical reasons. Did you overheat? Is that what happened during the run? I actually was hypothermic. Oh, yeah. My, they took my temperature and I, my body temperature was 94 degrees. How did that happen? Yeah. So what I think happened was at the swim, you know, we got to warm up and swim in the water early in the morning. And then we had to stand around for like 15 minutes. So I was standing there and it was kind of windy and the water wasn't 
necessarily warm. So I was standing in my wetsuit for like 15 minutes, just freezing cold. Like I was so, I was so cold when I started the swim and I had an okay swim. I got out and as soon as I got on the bike, I just like something just felt off. And I was like, oh, you know, okay, maybe it's just not my day. And I like could not even push over 180 watts, which is like mind blowing to me. And I even, I was trying so hard and I'm like, what is going on? And finally, when I got up into Snow Canyon, I looked around at everybody and they were just dripping in sweat. And I looked at my body and I didn't have an ounce of sweat on me. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like I've, I'm hydrating. I'm doing everything right. And by the time I got onto the run course, I got about a mile in and started running like sideways and was really confused and just didn't feel good. And at that point I knew my race was shot, but I was determined to finish just because I missed Oceanside. And next thing I know, I'm like throwing up. And then I remember some people grabbed me by the arms and just kind of, they put me in the shade because they're like, oh, you're, you're hot, you're hot. And they poured ice down me. They were, they were making me hold ice chips. And I'm like, no, I'm cold. You guys, I'm cold. Please stop. And then they took my temperature and they were like, oh crap. Yeah, you are cold. So then they laid me in these like bed of rocks and put a blanket on me. And I sat there for like three hours until my body temperature finally warmed up. Do you know why this happened? Because you've done, obviously, you've done really well in races with cold water swims before. You've won your age group both in the full Ironman in Coeur d'Alene and the half, which I thought the water in Coeur d'Alene was even colder than St. George. Like, is this something that has just like come up or was it something new with like the pro star and having that pro warm up? And then it is where we do have to wait a little bit. Maybe. And I will say this is probably my mistake. I didn't do any open water swimming this whole year because it's been so cold in Seattle and I've been kind of a wimp and I've been swimming in this nice warm pool for the last five months. So then to kind of just jump into this open water swim, that might have had something to do with it. Would you still do another race that has colder water or are you just going to like try to focus on warmer water races? No, no, I'll do it. I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to do Coeur d'Alene. So I'll be there. All right. That's a good one. And so Kayla, besides, you know, St. George and everything. This is only actually your third season racing triathlon just in general, right? So you're still learning a ton, I'm sure, and trying to soak all of that in. And then having kind of a rockier start to the season has probably been a little hard. But, like, you know, how have you managed that? And has Million Dollar Mile kind of been, like, the silver lining that you've been, like, secretly able to kind of like rest on during this tough time. You know, I certainly would be resting my head on my hundred thousand dollars and being like, it'll be okay this year. <laughs> yeah, no, that has been, that has been great. That, that was, that's been like a huge kind of like ego boost when things, you know, go wrong, like bad races happen. It's just part of the game. Yeah. Obviously to have two unfortunate things happen, like back to back hasn't been, but I'm just looking forward to more of races later in the year and more of the full distance races for me, because I've actually only done three 70.3s ever. So in terms of like pacing and knowing like how hard I can actually push in that distance, it's still very new to me. So I don't love those races per se, just because I don't really know how to race them yet, but I'm looking forward to the, to the more, uh, full distance Ironmans. Kayla, you sound like a veteran rather than a 24 year old rookie pro who's only done three 70.3s ever. And I think, you know, this alludes to some of your background in sport. They mentioned on million dollar mile that you were actually a snowboarder and you had a pretty good snowboarding career going when you broke your neck and that led to your start into triathlon. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that seemed like a, a very big thing. I, I don't, we weren't able to find more information about it on the internet. So tell us please. Yeah. So I'll give you a quick backstory here. So I was actually homeschooled for snowboarding so I could travel and compete. So in terms of like, you know, traveling and competing for races and competing at a high level, I'm totally used to that. I'm used to the pressure and all that. So that like, doesn't bother me. I loved it. I had a great time. I had a bunch of sponsors and then I was warming up for 
a competition. I went up on a quarter pipe. It was way too icy. And instead of landing on my feet, I landed on the back of my neck, which then fractured my neck and my right collarbone at the same time. And it was like the day after Christmas too, to make things even better for my mom. How old, how old were you at this point? I was 16, 17. I was 17. And I remember being in the ambulance, getting driven to the hospital and just thinking like, man, I don't want to be 30 years old and in a wheelchair and have like all these problems with me. Like I kind of realized at that point that snowboarding is not really sustainable and like something I can do into my thirties and forties. Uh, because I, what I have been hurt so many times with that sport. So I kind of just made this like conscious decision to be like, Hey, okay, I'm going to pick up something that, you know, I still want to be in sports. I still want to be competitive, but I just don't want to do snowboarding anymore. It's just too risky. So at that point I was like, Oh, I'll get into running. Cause I've always been a runner. I've been a runner my whole life that led to obstacle course racing when I was 21 I was living with my grandma helping take care of her and I was riding this Craigslist bicycle I bought for like $75 to and from work and I remember being really cocky if I just learn how to swim I'll just do this triathlon thing <laughs> so then I started swimming and I mean I started swimming 50 yards and I would take a break and then I'd swim another 50 yards and take a break. Like nobody taught me how to swim. I was not a swimmer in high school or junior high. I never took swimming lessons. So once I did my first triathlon ever, which was Victoria 70.3, I was quickly humbled and I realized there's a lot more to the sport than I realized. So like the next day I went out and hired a coach and was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to figure this thing out. I love and that. you did. You've had amazing results as an age grouper. I mean, you think, did you win your age group in like every Ironman distance race you've done or you did? Yes. Except Kona. And then what about your decision to go pro from that? I mean, you again, had so much success very early on as an age grouper and then you didn't waste any time really. I mean, I guess you, you notched Kona, checked that off and decided to go for that pro license. Yeah, so I qualified in Louisville. I was second overall there, and I didn't I didn't even realize at the time. I didn't go to that race with anybody. I didn't know my pacing or anything. I didn't know until the next day when I looked at the results, which was pretty crazy for me. And honestly, I didn't think anything of it. I just was like, I'm going to take my slot to Kona, and that's it. And it was always in the back of my mind of like, hey, you can take this pro card. You can like really you know, do something with it. But at the time I had a corporate job that I worked, you know, nine to five, 40 hours a week in the office, you know, salary, all that stuff. And I was, I think I was like too afraid to let that go. Cause I was just comfortable. And I was like, well, why would I, you know, risk all that? But I think it took, you know, working 40 hours a week and then training 20 hours a week. I just, it was just not sustainable at that point. Like I just became grumpy and I was losing sleep and I just like, wasn't that fun to be around. And it was either, you know, work would slip cause I would like train too much or my training would take a back seat cause I had to work too much. So it took a few months of asking a lot of people questions of like, what should I do? Should I go for it? You know, should I keep the job? And what it came down to was I can always go back to the corporate world. Like those jobs will always be there for me, but um, not everybody has the opportunity to like pursue this and kind of go for it. So I was like, yeah, you know what? Let's do it. Let's go for it. So here I am. Well, at Iron Women, we love that story and we love that you went for it and that you're joining us in the pro ranks. And Haley and I totally, I think we fall into that category of people who agree that the cubicles will always be there waiting for us. So, but her and I haven't had to look back quite yet. And so I'm, I'm pretty sure we think that you won't have to either here in a few seasons. So Kayla, you are also sponsored by Noon Hydration this year. And our listeners, of course, get 30% off at noonlife.com with the code IRONWOMEN. What is your favorite product that they should be adding to their cart with their next order? Noon Rest. It's a new product, but my favorite flavor of the two would be the lemon chamomile. 
Honestly, like if you take it on a regular basis, I'm not going to say it magically heals your muscles and you're waking up feeling, you know, completely refreshed, but it definitely helps you sleep better through the night on like hard workouts where you might feel like a little restless. I love it. Great, great advice. And we do, we love our partnership with Noon, great products and a great company to work with. Kayla, you mentioned that you are making another attempt at your pro debut. I think you can count St. George. I mean, you you were in there, you were in the start line. So, but is Coeur d'Alene 70.3, is that what's next on your list? And where else can people find you? I mean, you, you seem like you're ready to get on an Ironman start line here pretty soon. Yeah, soon. Ironman Whistler. Nice. Okay. And and you race there as an age grouper, right? They change I, the course there like every single year, right? Yes. I raced there last year when it was like 95 degrees and this insane three loop, very hilly bike course, but I'm looking forward to it. It's a beautiful, beautiful course. I do love the Ironman Canada course. I've been there a few years ago and it's, it's definitely a good one. So we wish you all the luck as you get ready for that and good luck with Coeur d'Alene. And Kayla, thanks for coming on Iron Women today and entertaining all of our questions about Million Dollar Mile. I think you're going to have a lot more fans from the podcast for both triathlon, but also from your reality TV show life here. I love it. Thanks for having me, you guys. Haley, do you know what our most popular Iron Women episode has been so far? I do, Alyssa, because you know I love the numbers, and it goes back to fall of 2017 when we interviewed exercise physiologist Stacey Sims. You are right, and do you know what Stacey Sims has been up to these days? I've heard she's working with Noon Hydration to help formulate some products that have the female endurance athlete in mind. Noon Hydration products have clean quality ingredients and are also non-GMO project verified, which means top quality ingredients for your body and the planet. Noon Hydration offers a range of hydration products for all your workout and recovery needs. My personal favorite is Noon Sport Fruit Punch flavor. What's yours, Alyssa? I like the Noon Sport in the grape flavor, and our listeners can go to noonlife.com and shop with a 30% off code of IRONWOMEN to find out their favorite flavor. And don't forget to let us know. That's noonlife.com with the code IRONWOMEN for 30% off. Okay, Alyssa, I know that you love reality TV and you've, you've applied to be a contestant on several different shows, but if you were a contestant on Million Dollar Mile, do you think you could win the million dollars? You know, it, it like pains me to say this, but I don't think so, Haley. Those kinds of like obstacles are just so, I'm not good at any of that. Like my grip strength is bad. I can't do a pull up. And it, I mean, I guess if I knew with far enough advance and I was able to really, really train, I might be able to make some money, but I don't think I would ever get myself in a short amount of time good to win a million. And actually, I don't know if I've ever told this on the podcast that after the long trail, the like recruiter for American Ninja Warrior reached out and like, I don't know what would have happened. Like maybe he would have just helped me in some way, but you know, whatever. And I basically, I literally said to the guy, like, I can't do a pull up. I don't think I'm like a good contestant. He was like, yeah, probably not. Like, <laughs> but thanks. He was like, thanks for telling me that. And not like, you know, going through. Cause I was like, I'm not even going to make it very far at all. But yeah, strength doesn't always translate like linear between triathlon to obstacle racing like at all but I would love to try in some like you know some fun gym maybe that has something set up just to see like if I'm really as bad as I think I am what about you do you think you'd win I well I'm just thinking I'm thinking if it was the million dollar 100 miles yeah. <laughs> you might have a chance um because million you, dollar you hike anything? up the really steep mountain or something like I yeah. don't know <laughs> Even then, it would have to be like a hundred mile long mountain. I think. I think I'd get beat if it was like a K. Yeah. I don't well, know. I just I watched a couple episodes and I, I just yeah like the obstacle course racing is something I haven't ever done, and I've rock like rock climbed in a gym um, a couple times, and it it was not like I, it was not like I was a phenom of rock climbing, and it just came naturally. And I think those kind of skills really help you a lot. I would need to train a lot. And maybe I could make a, a run at like $10,000. I, I don't think I could do the million unless, you know, I, I have no idea. I don't. Yeah. It does <laughs> seem like for some triathletes, though, maybe this is like, 
you know, maybe there is a link, right? Right, right. We were talking about that, that two of the, in addition to Kayla being a runner on the show, two of the defenders are triathletes. We had Max Fennell, pro triathlete, who's also the founder of Fen Coffee, which is an affiliate of our show. I believe there's a discount code in the show notes, or at least a link that um, leads to that. But And then another one of the defenders, Robert Killian, he won the military division at Kona a couple of years ago. So I, there is some kind of link. So maybe we just haven't tried it yet. Or maybe that's like our next next step, right? After pro triathlon, we'll just move there, make the big bucks, and then we can retire. <laughs> it's not a bad plan. But um, if anyone wants to watch Kayla's episode, I believe it's archived at cbs.com. And you can catch new episodes on CBS Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern. I'm not sure if I think... They might have a break right now or something. I, I don't know. Check your local listings. But um, Alyssa, I hope you recover well from Eagle Man and get to enjoy a little bit of downtime this week. And I'll look forward to chatting with you again next week. Thanks, Haley. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women Podcast is a live feisty media production. We want to thank our sponsors and partners, Noon Hydration, Wahoo Fitness, Zelios, Fen Coffee, FTC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queens.